the topic of the day. How was your fourth? What'd How you was do? my fourth? Um, it was good. We uh, just went over to some friends, swam, kids swam all day. It was a hot day too. Yeah, but it was what ten degrees less than what it was. It was it was before, right? deceiving because we would get overcast. Yeah, for a bit, mm-hmm. and then the sun would come out, and it'd just be brutal when it was there. And it was seemed to be really humid too. Yeah, it was really humid. But it was like I mean, I don't think it got above like ninety five, whereas or ninety three, something like that. And we'd been almost ten degrees higher than that a few days before. So yeah, I don't know. Uh, supposedly the humidity is low right now though, and I don't know. we're also in this drought. I was seeing, you know, just it gets, keeps getting worse. Really? Yeah. All I know is I I did some grilling and it was hot. <laughs> yeah. Well, when you stand over the grill, that tends to be well, yeah, pretty darn hot. I'm just saying, going in and out. I have a system to my grilling where I don't have to be outside when I'm grilling. I, I don't know if that makes sense, but I have everything timed. I do it enough times, and I cook with charcoal, but I do it enough times that I know when I can put stuff on and when I can leave it and when I can come back and just kind of watch it. And I just, I, I'm inside, but I watch it from the door. Mm. It's not like I leave it unattended, although there were pictures of uh, someone in our neighborhood or in our town that uh, caught their fence on fire because it left their grill unattended. I don't, oh, wow. yeah. I don't know. I don't know if they had the grill like right against their fence or what, but yeah, there was full on flames and everything. Wow. Yeah. It seems like every time uh, we leave the grill unattended for any amount of time, that's when bad things happen. <laughs> like you come out and like, they're just, everything's on fire. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway. Now what, so what'd you guys do? That was pretty much it. It was a, it was more of a fairly lazy day. My daughter was in the, our town parade. No, oh, for the you guys have an Independence Day parade. Yeah, every year, and um, she did it for so the soccer association um, had a float, and she got invited to go on it. Mm. So had to get up early for that to get her going, and so it, it was an early rise, and, yeah. and so pretty much mm, all of the adults, so me, my wife, and my mom, because my mom's visiting, all took naps. Yeah, at some point good. in the day, because we were just tired, we had to get up so early. I was, we, when we, we actually got home around seven or eight and then we were going to a, another friend's house to actually watch fireworks mm-hmm. and I just wanted to go to sleep uh, when we got home. Yeah. Uh, well, our fireworks were over the weekend. We didn't, our fireworks were okay. on Saturday, Okay. which I, I don't know. I, I kind of like it cause it's, it's a different day and I can relax, but I kind of hate it cause it's not on the fourth. I don't know. I don't, I didn't like the fourth thing on a Wednesday because I that don't know. sucks. It's in the middle of the week. Like, I feel like I should be. At home with a beer right now, but I'm not. I'm here working. I think Thursday is the best day because you get the day off, and then you can basically just take Friday off, too. And so you end up with a four-day weekend. Yeah. Anyway. Um, well, John, I noticed that you came out of the woodwork uh, earlier today on Slack in order to rant. Yeah, because I, I started my day, uh, you know, I got up early because I needed to make up the time for not working yesterday. Yeah. And I felt guilty all day yesterday about not working, but, you know. Well, before you get into that, I, um, I got a quick thing. I think this is just, this will be a good tip for everyone. Cause we talk about, you know, data science, mm-hmm. some, you know, a little bit. Um, and there's, of course you can't get away from it. There's everything's AI and machine learning and really just AI. Everything's AI, AI nowadays. Yeah. Um, and I know there's a lot of people that probably listening to this that want to get into data science and they're not sure what the first thing that you would even, you know, what the first step would even be. Yeah. I know what the first step is. You do? Okay. What is it? You change your title to data scientist. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. But then right up, there's the second first thing you do, which, and I wanted to play this. First way. thing you do as a data scientist is look at your data. There you go. Nice. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I like that. Oh uh, man. Uh, yeah, I actually saw a good example of um of I guess it would be machine probably some kind of machine learning. It was a Facebook thing. Uh, there's a brewery that's opening in Dallas, Steam Theory, and they posted some post on their page. I guess that was called on Facebook a page, I guess. Or their business page or whatever. I don't, I don't do the Facebooks. And they said they announced when their like opening date was, and I commented and and said, "Hey, do you guys have any information on your beers that you're going to be, you know, coming out with?" Because I, you know, they'd been uh, chronicle. What's the like journaling? I guess their their build out of their brew pub and everything, and it's it's mm-hmm. really cool. I like all these photos and everything they're doing, but they don't ever talk about their beer, which I find slightly odd. And so I asked, I just commented on their post and asked them that, and it. And, and I've seen Facebook do this before, but it immediately asked me, hey, why don't you just direct message this page? Because they respond, usually respond quickly, and it looks like you're asking them a question. And so you can just look at you know, your question. And I, I read it back. I thought, oh, did I provide any like, just super easy keyword or phrase? But I really didn't. Hmm. It just knew. It just knew. So are you saying the page responded with an AI bot? No, no, no. It just it pop, it had this little dialogue that expanded in there and said, Hey, would you just go ahead and like to direct message them instead of oh, instead of just commenting on the post? I see. That's kind of cool. Yeah, but no, you're right. Yeah, I think I think we have step one A and step one B. This is this is step one A. It was really easy. I just changed my title to data scientist, and then you got step one B. First thing you do <laughs> as a data scientist is look at your data. Yeah. The big data scam is a huge scam. Don't you have to collect data? What if you have no data? You have nothing to look at. Well, you do have to have data. I guess that's uh, that's step two. Collect data. It's ABC, right? Oh, okay, I guess you so. got to change your title. You got to collect data. Then you got to look at data. I guess they're assuming you know we you all have data because ev- everyone's got data nowadays. Like, but we don't know. Do if, yeah, I guess. Is it good data? Is it bad data? Is it in between data? Yeah. All right. Well, let's get. To, you want to do your. You want to talk about what you, do you did? You want to talk about that? What you were ranting about earlier? Yeah, we might as well. Uh, this is this has been a uh, a topic for me. Just, <coughs> it's a, it's an evergreen. Like it, it goes away for a while. Like currently, I'm not having this problem, which is great because there's because I have had this problem. There's been you're not times doing Salesforce development. No, there's been uh, that's true. <laughs> um, no, there's 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 a couple of clients that I'm still that I'm doing. You know, yeah. um, ongoing work for and stuff. I'm just not doing a lot of Salesforce, but. Uh, yeah, there's been times when I'm just 100% doing uh, a big, you know, some big build out with uh, just tons of, tons of, <clears throat> you know, code and customization and yeah, you know, all, all kinds of stuff. And I'm doing, you know, I've got continuous integration running and automated deployments and all that kind of stuff. And uh, when you're, when you're doing, when you're doing intensive Salesforce work with a lot of development and deployment and tests and all those kind of things. That's when if you if you are in an org that's on a pod that's for some reason is just having issues, it's it's so painful. You basically can't get work done. It's it's yeah. just so slow. And so I definitely I don't think you can I mean I I, de- I feel your pain, but unless you have been through this where like I am trying to do my job and I can't do my job. And I and even worse if you're like a you know if you're like you're a freelancer or something and you're, and you and you get paid by what you get done. It's like I I can't make any money. Yeah. <laughs> this is not good. I'm not going to hit my bonus. I'm not going to get work done this month. Or Especially if you're trying to manage multiple projects and you kind of carve out your day and say, I'm going to work on this this morning and this in the afternoon. And, you know, you're trying to juggle things. And that's kind of where I, where I was at. I was trying to get some things done and juggled so I can get a couple of things done this week. And it was almost, well, I mean, it is 
it has been very painful and impossible just because of how long it takes just for the simple task of saving a class or running a test. And to clarify by saving, I mean deploying. Yeah, to, to just to your sandbox? Yeah. Okay. And how long are we talking about? It depends. I mean, sometimes it goes through really quickly, and then other times it'll take two, three, sometimes five minutes. And it'll happen, sometimes I'll get, I'll do a say, I'll do a, I'm going to stop using the word save and say deploy. I'll do a deploy, and it'll be a few seconds. Okay? That's, that's fine. Mm -hmm. And then a few minutes later, sometimes, sometimes I just accidentally hit my control S, or whatever, my command S, and it takes two to three minutes. I, by accidentally, I, I just had this habit of saving often. I always, when I've, it's been a habit since I started developing, even back in the Visual Studio days, every time I finish a line or something, I, I go control S or command S, whatever. I just save. It's what I do. Um, cause now, now, are you an, in, are you an uh, IntelliJ? I'm an IntelliJ, yeah. So you're not, you never really have to save an IntelliJ. It's kind of smartly saving for you. Yeah, you have, the, you have your local history and everything, but it's just one of those habits that I developed. Um, in fact, that's another topic I have is habits. <laughs> of course, I guess one reason, one reason to save, I think, I think you, the reason you're, you're doing this saving is, well, number one, it's a habit, but also, because I don't think I do that. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason is because I, I mean, I've used IntelliJ for probably, I don't know, over a decade, I, I guess. And, you know, it's, it's just smart about saving. It, it saves, it knows when it needs to save. Uh, depending on kind of what you're doing or whatever, but it, but when you're doing Salesforce development, if you're using like a Illuminated Cloud plugin to IntelliJ, if you actually, I mean, I mean you can't even get compiler feedback until in, unless you save, right? Uh, and and you can't you can't even you know you, I don't know it's just it's part of the you're often needing to you need to you need it to you need it to do deploy to your sandbox, yeah, just to see where you're at and what you know. Whatever, because you know the the Java development experience in IntelliJ is different. I mean, it's it it's got the compiler right built into it, and so IntelliJ is is, a, is basically able to, as with Visual Studio. I mean, anyone who's doing any modern software, any software development on a, on a modern competitive platform knows that. Yeah, that's just the experience you get. I mean, it's it's real time feedback. Oh, you didn't put this curly bracket, or you need to put a whatever. Yeah. You know, it's in immediate syntax and compiling type feedback. On Salesforce, you don't have that. Right, and I know you know Scott Wells, who does the Illuminated Cloud. I mean, he's it's his goal to make Salesforce development, you know, to have the similar experience as with Java development on Illuminated or on IntelliJ. And I mean, he's he's gone a long way in that direction. I mean, it's in fact, I mean, and and I'm I know some of these other IDs have gotten or whatever you know tools for Salesforce have, have mm -hmm. gotten better over time as well. I just don't have any. I don't have very much experience with them, so I can't really say. But uh, yeah, I mean, Illuminated Cloud's gotten. Uh, pretty good direction or pretty good distance in that in that direction of making it more like that Java experience, mm -hmm. and it's a static. You know, most most of the I mean, at least with Apex and Visual Force, it's it's pretty static. You know, you're talking about a static language, so it's it should be able to, right? You know, I mean, the thing is, like, you know, as tool developers in Salesforce, you don't have an Apex compiler. You know, so that's you, what you, we're missing. You, exactly. Yeah. I mean, well, there's a lot of things we're missing, but well. that's <laughs> that's one of the big ones. But I mean, it it is a lot better. In fact, I mean, without even going back from you know, like I, I think when I went from Sublime with the what was that Maven's uh, something Maven's Mate Maven's, Maven's Mate, Mate yeah to Illuminated Cloud. I mean, I think that was a big step up in my like developer happiness. Mm -hmm. It has been for me too. Yeah. Um, on that note, I do want to thank Scott Wells because he's he's kind of responded to some of my issues and kind of reached out and offered some help and everything. He's he's 
He's always been great about that. I mean, he doesn't have to. I'm just, I was just ranting and everything, and he's just kind of, well, you know, spit out some logs. Let me look at it. And let me see if it's if it's something that my software's doing, or if it's something if it's just polling, which it, it is. I mean, obviously. But um, yeah, he's he's been really awesome with that. So yeah, I wonder, I wonder why when they came out, when they did the tooling API, which is I don't know, a relatively new API, I guess a few years old now. Why is it polling? I, I actually was under the impression for a long time that it was. Not polling, it was some kind of um, either like long polling or um, what's the it's kind of stream or feed what, or something. The, what's or the kind message of, queuing system? Uh, what's that long polling technology that kind of got <laughs> made? Yeah, you, sorry, <laughs> I didn't set myself up very well today. No, you didn't that that <laughs> uh, is it sock? Um, uh, what is it, John? The socket thing, um, web, web sockets, web sockets, yeah. yeah, or you know, it should I'm not sure why I didn't use something like that so that. Probably because it's a thread, and Salesforce's threads are finite and expensive. Well, that, that's a part. Well, I mean, nowadays with, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm sure Salesforce probably would run something like you know Netty, which is like a, uh, a Java asynchronous kind of framework thing that that b- breaks that model of one thread per socket. Yeah. So you don't have that problem because you only have so many, uh, you only have so many threads, right? Yeah, and I don't know. I mean, I remember. The only reason I even think that might be the issue is I remember when they first came out with the debugger, and it was it will, well it was before they came out with it, and I could I could I was able to talk to one of the product managers, and, and I think we were talking about pricing. I was like, "Is this going to be free? Is this, what is this going to be?" And and his <laughs> jokingly response is, "Well, how much would you pay for something like this?" Uh, and one of their ex- explanations More they were giving mob tactics <laughs> was was about how they had to hold a thread for for that transaction and everything and keep it open as long as you're debugging. And so that's why I think in my head that that translates over into I would say, everything. I don't know. I mean, uh, a, a decent AWS machine is what, 20, you know, 10 cents an hour or something like that. Why are they coming it, out it with can, a... It can run 60, th- or how many threads can you run? I don't know. Some number of threads. Um, and I just need one of those. So that's what's that. I don't know. A fraction of a cent per hour. That's what I'd be willing to pay. You cheap asses. <laughs> What about what about the fact they're coming out with a re- debug replayer instead of just a, a live debugger? I mean, what? Um, darn it. That's that's kind of cool, I guess. I mean, again, I, the problem is you know Salesforce has this history of getting getting the right debug logs you need, and in order to do something like a replay debugger, you typically have to have it's going to result in. You have to have like really detailed logs. So that's basically replaying a, a log in, yeah. in a way. But I mean, I don't know. I guess that's somewhat useful. Well, anyways, we're off topic. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I mean, for context, in terms of what I'm experiencing, is I'm doing some refactoring, and so I when I'm refactoring, especially, I tend to be a little heavier on the saves, um, especially because I don't know when things are going to conflict. I don't know because mm-hmm. I'm replacing code. I'll take a function and replace it with an entire class because I'm really expanding the functionality or it's getting too complex for methods and I need it to be its own class. And so I'm refactoring and the end result is kind of the same. So the existing tests should work. And so I'm changing things, running tests, changing things, running tests, because those should still be valid. I haven't gotten to a point where I changed the functionality of it. I'm just reorganizing the code at this point in preparation for changing functionality. Depends on the type of test though, right? (laughs) If you're, if you're doing, if you have a lot of kind of white box unit tests, those are going to break. If you're doing, more end-to-end tests, those, yeah, you're right, those should still be passing, right? Right, yeah. And, and it, with a lot of these, I'm, I'm still at the level of doing some finite functional-specific tests. Well, I don't know what the right way to say that. They're, they're, I'm testing very specific sets of functionality. I'm not testing entire applications. I'm testing a class's functionality. In this case, I have to 
know the difference between an internal and external user. I used to have just a bunch of methods that would just go grab it, but now I need that self-contained because I'm having to use that in a bunch of different places. So I brought that into a new class, and all it has to do, all the test has to do is create a, a portal user, create an internal user, and then I run tests on that to make sure that I'm able to get the right information back. That's all it was doing. Now, someone might say, oh, you're provisioning a user, and that's going to take more time. But there are times that test takes seconds. Yeah. And then the other times it takes 10 minutes. Right. And I'm just, what, what's the difference here? Well, and did you look, I mean, is it when it takes 10 minutes, is it spending, you know, nine minutes and 50 seconds of that in pending state? E e yes. Okay. <laughs> I, 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 would, I would have bet it would. I mean, that, it, it's hard to tell from the tools. I mean, the, the, if you look at the logs that, that Illuminate Cloud will spit out, you'll see the polling. You'll see it polling and polling and polling. Yeah. If I look at just the normal tools, like I can go into Salesforce, because when, if you don't know this, when you're even when you're using an IDE and you click save and it does a deploy to your sandbox, you can go into Salesforce and go to deployment status and see your job there. If you run a test from your IDE, you can go into Salesforce, go to text execution or history, and you can see your job there. It's all there. Um, so that's what I did. I went in there and said, okay, well, let me go look and see what Salesforce says. Maybe maybe Salesforce says it's done and Illuminate Cloud is just polling because it got stuck or something. But that yeah. wasn't the case. So Okay, so when mm -hmm. I if I if I use Illuminate Cloud, for example, to to deploy something to like say production, I do see that job show up under deployment. Yeah, but if can. I just save an Apex class in my sandbox, those do not show up as deployments for me. They should. No, because if if they did, well, first of all, they don't. But if they did, I mean, my that thing would be full of just like hundreds or thousands of deployments, and it's not ever. It only. It's not showing those. Mm. Now, I wonder if that's the difference between, do you know if you're using the tooling API or the metadata API? I believe I'm using tool. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm vanilla IC. I, I go yeah, with I mean, the defaults. I was thinking maybe the metadata API, it shows it up. It will show up as a deployment, whereas tooling, it doesn't. I, I don't know. I recognize it as if it's anything, usually like Eliminate Cloud is the only place where I can't tell it what the deployment name is. <laughs> so you just get the ID job. Yeah. In, and so when yeah. I go to deployment status, I can see the ID job and I can see it. I believe I can see what was in it. I, I, maybe not. But either way, I recognize the time code that that's when I did mm -hmm. my save. Yeah. And there's no one else in here. It's yeah. me. Okay. So I do see them. At, but you're right. I do have some cases where I haven't seen them. So I don't know what the difference is. I don't know if it's the difference in the metadata API or the difference in the type of sandbox or maybe the difference of my account that I'm using to, yeah. to do it. There, I don't there's know. something because not all of them show up <clears> and I don't, I've never figured out exactly why that is. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it, it does make things difficult. And I think partly my reason for my rant was really just around, it was a couple of things. One, it was taking me forever to get this done. And I really wanted to make some progress on this and I couldn't and I'm, all I can think about is I estimated a couple of hours to do some of this refactoring and it's taking me half the morning yeah you know what do I do I charge the client four wait, hours wait, half for the morning is two hours John um, oh I'm sorry the morning it's taking me the whole morning okay um I never finished it actually yeah <laughs> I was told to stop working on it so for yeah, other reasons but anyways right and so um, you, you obviously you have a that's that's a major problem and that's one of those things that I in the past um have log cases for those and I've had people help me get those escalated to the right people that, you know, looked at it, like the, the people who are actually in charge of like pod perform, like these deployment performance of these deployments, mm -hmm. because there are, you know, they do have basically got like queuing algorithms. Right. And so if you have a really small, and I don't know exactly how it works, but what I, what I think, and I think I've confirmed some of this with, with these people is like a really small, if I see a really small job, like a tooling API, well, first of all, I think tooling APIs tend to get prioritized higher because mm. 
they assume that's, yeah, that's a developer sitting there waiting for this. Whereas a, if you were to do like a big metadata deployment job that had a bunch of stuff in it, they're, they're like, oh, well, that looks more like a, a big deployment versus someone just like hitting save in their IDE. So expectations are that's going to take longer. So they, they look at the size. It's, it's, so I think one thing is tooling versus metadata. I also think the size of the job. So if it's, just, if it's a job that just has one class, obviously that's someone just probably just saving something and they're sitting there waiting for it. Mm. And if you don't finish this in about two or three seconds, they're going to flip over to Twitter and then lose like 15 minutes of their day. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, whereas if it's, if it's got, you know, 500 classes, then it's like, well, someone just like wanted to just do a resave of everything. And, and obviously ex- reasonable expectations, that's going to take some time. So they will actually, they'll queue that under small jobs. Behind yeah, small jobs. I, I realize that's a tough problem for them to solve. Um, well, but... you know, there are these things called computers that you can throw at that problem. This is what, <laughs> it, this is what I don't understand. I mean, Salesforce is a cloud competing company. And I know they started before a lot of them. I mean, Salesforce's pod architecture predates like modern cloud computing. And so I'm sure if they could start over, and I think in some, I think in some cases they may be starting over, especially with the AWS. And I don't know what they're doing with Google, by the way. They've, 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 there's been even more stuff in the news in the past month or so about how they, they've talked about how GCP is their, is their preferred cloud computing platform now hmm. for, for Salesforce. That's like, weird. I know. And I'm like, okay, is it, is it only out of, so domestically maybe it's GCP, but internationally it's, it's AWS as their cloud partner? I, just, I don't get it. But, I mean, they may be taking that opportunity to, to re-architect or a maybe, lot Or maybe Salesforce sees the value in not tying yourself to one platform vendor. <laughs> maybe. Uh, do as I say, not as I do, right? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, I mean, that, 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 those are basically my two reasons for the rant was, one, you know, how do I effectively estimate knowing this, you know, do I have to expand oh, yeah. all my estimates? And the other part is, let's say, how, how do I fix this? How do I go and tell someone? Because there's no channel. There's no official no. channel for us to go and say, hey, I think there's an issue with this pod. I keep getting saves that take minutes. And even if there was, how do I prove it? Because if I go into the tooling and try to look at things, there's really no good way of proving save that you're sitting no, there. Save the job IDs. Well, and, even, but that's what I'm saying is even in their system, when they try to report and you do the history reports and things like that, they yeah. show milliseconds because I don't think no. they're accounting for the polling. No, no. They, they, if you give them the job ID and, and the right person looks at it, they'll, they'll be able to see that it's had in pending for oh, so how many ever two weeks after I get past tier one and tier exactly. two and eventually get it to tier three, yeah. they can look at the logs and yeah. tell me. Okay. That's, that's fair. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's, that's, I mean, that, that's one of the things that, you know, if you're, if you're one of these like well-connected like you go to all the events and you know you know the right people and all the stuff. You know you can go right to people and get stuff done. It's just it's and and I've done that before. But what's the, it, what's it, the magic it's, keyword, it's, Jeremy? Is it Shimbala or what is it? Uh, <laughs> what? What is there's a magic keyword to get get to tier one or tier three? Is there? I, I don't ask me. I haven't figured it out yet. If there is one, uh, someone someone knows what. It but is. anyway, you shouldn't have to do that. Like if 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 Salesforce is having a major operational problem. You shouldn't have, to, I mean, the, the virtue of the fact that you're a paying customer and you've already pay, you've paid for a reasonably per- performant service is all that should be required to get your issue to the right people. And, yeah. here's, and here's the other part of this. They already know this. You're not going to tell them anything they don't know. They see your jobs. They have metrics on all of this. I mean, I've, I've seen their dashboards. They know what's going on and they're either 
working on it and trying to fix it, or they're sitting there going, man, I wish we could fix this, but uh, because of the constraints we've been given, we really can't. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the reality of it. I mean, but if you've got 10 minute jobs just to run a, a 50 millisecond unit test, then that's something I mean, all, that, all I'm hearing is this is the world we live in. This is, this I don't is, think this is the way is. it is. I don't think that's the world we're supposed to be living in. And I don't think that, and, and I, you know, I, I know that these, this, these performance teams, they do have constraints. I mean, they, they don't have endless resources. They don't have an endless cloud. Did you just know? call those people resources? <laughs> no, I was talking, and I was not talking about the people. I'm talking about <laughs> the computing resources. They don't have endless computing resources. Not until they get on AWS anyway, I guess. <laughs> so they've only got, you know, they've got so, many, so much computing power, they've got to spread these jobs around. But if, again, if, if you've got a job that's taking 10 minutes for a 10 millisecond class, test class, test run, text, test execution, then I think that something else is wrong. This is not a lack of resources problem. This is some, maybe it could be a bug in the, that queuing mechanism or something's going on that yeah. I, would, I would think they'd want to know about. Okay, but who do I tell? That's the problem. Well, the first thing to do is log the case and put the job. I know. First thing you do is log I, okay, the case. Okay, first of all, I, I only estimated a few hours to do this, <laughs> and now I have to spend time, Yep. Now, you, extra time yeah. to save it, and now I have to spend extra time trying to get, so do you, get a case. Do you reported. bill your customers for all this time? Exactly. I, I've Who pays that. for this? I know. Yeah. A, am I just a good guy and I just do it all on my own time? Yeah, and you just reduce your income by that much and explain to your family why. Why we can't go to Disney World because... <laughs> yeah. Because Salesforce made it possible for me to do my job. <laughs> it's 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 it is definitely a factor in with the type of work I've decided to to take nowadays. And, and, and you know, it bugs me every time because I know that's the case. I know I basically had to somehow balance out the time or just pad my hours here and there, thinking, you know what, I might have some issues here, so let me do this. Or I've noticed the system's been running a little slow lately. Let me add an hour to all my estimates just to make sure that we're covered. You know, it's it, and on on big ongoing projects. I mean, we're not talking about an hour or two. No, we're, talking we're not about yeah. Depending on the size of the team and everything, and this could be especially, it, especially if I'm doing percentage. something complex and I need to save often. I need compile feedback often because I'm dealing with a large code base. Or right. okay, we're back. Sorry for the technical difficulty there. You can we're blaming USB C. Yeah. <laughs> Why does USB C plugs fall out so easily? I don't know. This is a problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was asking. Like, has pro equipment gone to USB C? Because again, with especially with pro equipment, like you want something that when it goes in, it goes in snug or snaps right. or locks. Like the micro, like the microphone, uh, the XLR. You know, they they lock in. You have to jam a mash a button in, yeah, to get the, the cable to pull out. Anyway, so what were you talking about? Um, yeah, you need you know you need to save frequently and often because you need quick compiler feedback. You're you're Doing a lot of like open heart surgery on this code, re, you know, major refactors and stuff, and right. and you don't want to get too far down some path only to find out that it was just a, a useless rat hole because you weren't getting compiler feedback. Yeah, or just I, I have I, there there have been times in the past where I have not saved frequently and I've built out large classes or a number of large classes only to hit save, and because I'd created so many interdependencies, it couldn't save. So I had to comment out code, save, uncommon oh. code, just to get rid of all those cross-dependencies. Um, and so that's another factor of why I save often, because when I'm working across different classes, I have dependencies there now, and I can't, I need to, if I make a change here, I need to save there. That's the other problem with this, this model of, like, the compiler's not on your computer, the compiler's in the cloud. 
and you have these classes on your hard drive. Now right. they're all, you fix them, right? They, they refer to each other and they reference each other in the right ways, but in the cloud, they don't. Right. And you can't just say, oh, here, here's my entire code base. Like, flash it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You can't do that. You have to like submit one little file at a time or like a, maybe a couple of files or, I mean, and you can do that. Like there's times in like, let's say you have three different class files and they all refer to each other in different ways and you change one that breaks the other and so then you have to fix the other one. When you're mm -hmm. done with that, you can, you know, highlight, you can select all three of those and then tell IC or whatever your tool is, you know, to send all these at once. Right. And in some of those cases, it will take that. But that, that's just, yeah, this, this, this uh, compiler in the cloud creates a lot of problems. Yeah, because the order matters, or I don't know, it, I guess everything's so... It's just not taking your code base as a whole. It's, you can, yeah. you know, it's only taking little snippets of it at a time. And of course, yeah, at any, any one change in and of itself is going to create you know, a problem. Right. But you have to take the whole thing. Like, I don't know, look at what's on my hard drive. Or, I don't, it's weird they don't... I, I don't know. Maybe these are this. You know, I feel like they created these problems. Like, it didn't have to be this way, but... Now it, that's, that's the way it is. And so we have all these problems that are, you know, accidental complexity, not essential complexity. Shibolite, I think is the word. What is that? That's me hitting my watch. No, what's the, what's Shibolite? How do you spell that? S-H-I-B-B-O-L-E-E-T. <laughs> -E -E it's the magic word. That's weird. It was from a comic that was posted. I, it was actually posted in response to you. A while ago. So you must not have read it. Hmm. Guess not. Or you did and forgot about it. No. Yeah, you 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 gave it a thumbs up even. Huh. <laughs> I'm gonna have to force quit Chrome here. What in the world's going on? Hopefully my computer's not dying. Yeah. But anyways. Yeah, I um I definitely think you should you should the first thing you do is you create a case. Get yeah, uh, make sure you're saving those the job IDs. Mm -hmm. What is it called? It's the async something job or I don't know. But save those IDs because they they will be able to to see uh, that how those jobs you know, sit in pending forever. Yeah, I'll I'll do that. I'll tell my mother I can't have dinner with her tonight because I've and got to I got to log cases for Salesforce. I'll, I'll and give, give them you the, all the information that they're not going to read. Yeah, but <laughs> I, I can I'll give you the names of a couple of people who. Uh, I have I have help. I'm sure you I, do. I think I think my bigger case, and you've made this point as well, is if you don't know people, what is your recourse? I mean, if you don't, if you're not part of some community like the Good Day Sir Slack channel, <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, if you're if you're not supported by a, another group of developers who can kind of help give you tips or kind of tell you who you might be able to go and ask for help with, I mean, who? Well, what is your what, what if you're not on on the Good Day Sir Slack? This this is actually a, this is a good question, and you need help. <laughs> Uh, and you don't have, you are not some privileged, you know, well, not that we're privileged, who works for one of Salesforce's largest clients or something like that. Or not that we're, what do you, what do you do? Not that uh, we're privileged, but you know, it's good to have support sometimes. Well, how do you get into that Slack? It's good to have someone to vent to sometimes. How do you get in, John? I'm setting you up here. How do you get into the Slack? Go to www.gooddaysirpodcast.com forward slash community or go to our website, www.gooddaysirpodcast.com, <laughs> www, uh, and click on community. Enter your email address, and that'll come directly to me. I do have to manually add people in, so be patient, uh, and I'll get you in. We are so smooth. Okay, um, what do I have here? I have some little randos. Um, I have some more randos for you. Is that what we're calling them, randos? In a, in a move that is alarming San Francisco's biggest industry, a major medical association is pulling its annual uh, convention out of the city. 
because its members no longer feel safe in the city. Wow. I'm not surprised, but wow. And this is a quote from this guy, Joe D'Alessandro, who we've talked about before because he is the CEO of SF Travel, which I guess is their convention bureau, which I'm not quite sure if that's a public entity or a private entity. Anyway, he says, it's the first time we've had an out-and-out cancellation over this issue. And this is a group that has been coming here every three or four years since 1980. An interesting little factoid. Uh, he says, as a rule, major conventions book their visits at least five years in advance. Wow. See, yeah, yeah there's just, well, I guess that makes sense. I mean, it's, there's a lot well, of things going on. I guess that. so. And I, 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 was off, I was kind of thinking about, you know, Apple does a lot of these really last minute um, well, that's why they have their new spaceship with a part of with it a, with a whole area dedicated because they can to have that. it there now. But before that, they were having it at um, some other. It's in uh, San Diego, was or no, San? No, no. Uh, well, this San Jose, but San there's, Jose. there's some other theater that they would have them at, and they were they were they would be last minute. And the reason they were last minute is because if 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 Apple were to book some venue mm -hmm. in advance, like people know immediately when they book something, it's, it, it leaks out. Yeah. And they don't want anyone to know. So they don't book these things until the last minute. Of course, they have their own now, so they don't have to let anyone know. But so I thought, you know, well, Apple does these things last minute. They don't, they're not booking it five years in advance to, to tell the press something they want to tell the press. Well, how's this working? But then I thought, well, that, that's because those events are, you're talking about a, a few hundred people. Whereas. Well, yeah, they, 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 aren't they on a lottery system now for, for a lot of those events? Well, you're thinking of like WWDC, which is bigger. I mean, it's, WWDC is still small. What is it? Is it 5,000? Cap to 5,000? Mm. It's somewhere around there. But I'm talking about when they, they'll do, they'll announce like a press event to, I don't know, show the latest watches or something like that. And that'll be something they, they plan maybe 30 days in advance. But I thought even some of their press events were lottery system, but I could be wrong. They're not lottery. They're in, there is no lottery. It's invite only. It's invite only? You, you okay. will be informed if you are invited. <laughs> if not, there's no, there's no sign up page. <laughs> Darn. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Okay. So yeah, this guy, Joe, Joe D'Alessandro, uh, let's see, oh, it's interesting. So it's not just hotel owners who are getting the brunt of tourist complaints about how disgusting San Francisco streets have become. It's also SF Travel, the city's visitor bureau that's in charge of promoting the city and bringing conventions and conferences here. Uh, interestingly, their clients are fed up and threatening to scratch SF off the convention circuit. Uh, the doc, this doctor's group, which is the one that canceled, told San Francisco uh, that while they love the city, post-convention survey showed their members were afraid to walk am amid the open drug use, threatening, uh, with, oh, threatening behavior and mental illness that are common on the streets. One of, their, one of their, I guess, board members had been assaulted near Moscone, yeah, near Moscone last year. Oh, that'll do it. Yeah. But uh, it, San, tourism is San Francisco's biggest industry. I thought it might be tech or something, but I guess not. I mean, there's not... There's tech in San Francisco, but I think San Francisco gets lumped in with Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. And San Francisco, is, is it considered part of Silicon Valley? It's, it's on the I don't know. I, I, I mean, I think of, you know, San Jose and, yeah. uh, I don't know, you know, Palo Alto and, the, you know, as, as Silicon Valley. But maybe San Francisco too. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's their biggest entry, though. $9 billion a year in tourism. It's a pretty good amount. Did they say where they're moving it to? I believe they said they were looking at uh, L.A. Hmm. So still in Cali. Which is, huh? is L.A. much better? <laughs> or is it, wait, is it San Diego? Which, there's another city that's been having major homeless, you know, just huge increase in like their, their tent cities and everything. Oh, I don't know. I don't keep up with California too much. I got, I got a related uh, San Francisco story here. 
A foul odor permeated from a massive bag of human excrement sludge left on a street corner in San Francisco uh, Saturday. The, hor- the horrendous smell on site quickly gained notoriety when a Reddit user posted a screenshot of a report made to San Francisco Citizen app for identifying crimes. It was 20 pounds of feces. What? It was in a bag that just got dumped, and then when, they, when the bag got dumped, it like a hole ripped in it, and it was like spilling out into the street from oh. the side. Like, <laughs> it's like, That's just wrong. <laughs> While reports of human waste are common, this large of an amount is not typical, in quotes. No, it's not. I, I would hope not. <laughs> this is, that's also what's funny. This is some, I guess, so they have this app. There's a, San Francisco has an app that you can use to report problems. And someone commented and said, I, I can't say that I've seen anything like that. I've seen open feces and smeared feces. I commend whoever put it in the bag. It could have been much worse. <laughs> How about the gymnastics of getting onto, onto a trash can to do your business? Oh, yeah. 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 Well, they have these, they have public, in fact, uh, City of San Francisco has added 18 staffed public restrooms known as pit stops since 2014, and there are plans to add five more. That place is like, uh, who was it? Starbucks, or who, who was it that got rid of the... I think it was like Twitter that asked for yeah. those to be remo- remove them or whatever. But now that's interesting. We average about one flush every 10 minutes collectively from those, says someone from their Department of Public Works. And I thought, oh, there you go. That's, that's a good use of IoT, measuring the flushes on public toilets. <laughs> yes, yeah, so you can know when to add more, I wonder right? if they're using the thundercloud to ingest, <laughs> to ingest those, that data. <laughs> to digest the data? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, San Francisco, get your act together. What do you do with that data, though? Because if you, if you get data that there's too many, there's a lot of flushes in one area, you'd think that would signal you to put more. But if you put more, doesn't that also just increase more flushes? Aren't you just like making the problem worse? I don't know. It's like how do you solve a problem that, like that when you're just you're just adding band aids to the problem, right? So, anyways, all right. Well, what's what's on your docket, John? I had a couple of just random Salesforce things. Nothing news related because I've been busy and got family. I'm trying to be a family man. Yeah. I did notice I, I have this really bad habit, speaking of habits earlier. Um, I noticed, and I've been trying to break this habit, and I was going to ask if you have any habits that you do all the time that you did because of a very specific reason that you don't do anymore or that you need to stop doing. Okay. Uh, mine is I still, put, I still prefix all my test methods in my, in my classes with test. And I, I remember why I started doing that because I never used to do that. I started doing it because unit tests used to be in the same class as my I used to put, you know, way back when, before we had an official class for unit tests, I would, my test methods would be inside the class, the same class. You never and, had to do that, by the way. Yeah, no, you okay. never had to, but th- that was just the way I started doing that. And so I remember I started prefixing everything because I would name my test, the test for my method, the same as the method name, but I would prefix it with test. So I'd say like test get user or mm-hmm. test get account or whatever. And I still did that. I still do that for the long you're to this day. For the method names? For the method names. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that was one thing. I am. Um, I'm trying to get them. I'm sure I have weird habits. I can't think of any right now. I'm sure I do, though. But uh, just as, speaking of method names, and there's different ways to do this, but I, I always try to um, have my method, my test method name, 
uh, named in such a way that if it if, he, if it shows up as failing, it gives you a really good idea why. So I'll, I'll let me something like, um, oh, I'm just trying to think. Uh, you know, account. You know, missing street address throws exception, hmm. and so you know kind of what the data setup is, and you know what the expectation is right in the in the method name. See, I think of it more not so much in terms of me testing it and knowing what it did is just kind of giving others who might be reading the code a mm-hmm. way to recognize that this ties back directly to this. Because I don't know about you, but one thing I do dislike, and I know there's different ways to test and there's different methodologies. Some people are just testing pure behavior and they're testing end-to-end and some people are methodical and testing every little method and, and scenario and things like that. But what I find difficult is when I come into a code base and I don't know where the test is for that code because there's really no way to trace it back. Uh, in some cases, it's not even calling that class. Sometimes it's, it's relying on a trigger that will call that class, and that's how it's getting coverage, mm-hmm. which I don't like. I mean, I, I like knowing and seeing that this is the class for this functionality, and here's, here's the test method for this method so that I can trace it easily, just read it and go, okay, here's what this was supposed yeah, to be like, testing. I think it's like, isn't like the after, like after inserts, after updates, those you really have to, um, yeah, you have to fire off some kind of DML that, that causes the trigger to, to call your, your code. Yeah. A lot of times, uh, which I've, I've started doing this more recently, but I will, I've always done this, but I've started changing how I do it is I would, I'd still call, I wouldn't create the trigger method. I'd always create the class and write the test and then test everything and make sure it worked. And then I would add my trigger method. Yeah. But that causes issues because now my code tries to run multiple times. And so I don't, but my main point for doing that is because if I ever turn off that trigger, but that code is still being used somewhere else, my tests aren't invalidated because they're not dependent on that trigger to run. Yeah. So I try to make sure I'm calling that and I'm I'm setting up all the scenarios and everything. Sometimes I'll stick the, the update or insert method inside my start test before I actually physically call it. And it'll either run multiple times or because I have some kind of counter restriction on it, it'll just run that first time. But the data will still validate. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's hard to... <laughs> it's uh, hard talk, to explain. Talking about code is always difficult to understand, but... It is. Yeah, it's, but there's one just... thing I've been started doing is I've started adding a... And I know there's frameworks for this, and I should be doing something like that, but I'm not... I just have like a little flag that says disable DML or disable on DML. And so I'll set that flag and it won't run the DML and I can just run it manually as many times as I need to. I started doing that because there are some operations where we're doing some kind of bulk thing and I don't want that code to run because we're going to run a batch job later. And it was kind of nice to have a way to shut that off in code in some kind of automated fashion. Like I'm going to start this job and I'm going to set this to turn off and this to turn on. And I I know that's, that's why we should have some kind of unit test framework, but I, it doesn't always start out that way. You know, sometimes it starts out with just this really simple use case. And then later on down the road, after we've worked with the client for a year, we have all this other stuff. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I know what you mean. Yeah. Um, you know, and the thing is, I also like decoupling, testing code decoupled from any specific like persistence framework or, or it's like weird. It's like weird that I have to insert some records into a database yeah. in order to exercise certain code paths. It, it's gross. Like any, yeah. any, you know, experienced software engineer is going to look at that and go, Ooh, that's, that's gross. You have to do that. You shouldn't have to do that. Yeah, well, they promise you have to though. Cause if <laughs> you know. don't, cause I've done it where I've, I've gone, okay, I'm going to mock this and I'm not even gonna do a DML because I don't have to, I, I'm just, I'm just testing this functionality. Well, it, it bit me in the ass because 
Uh, do I have to mark that? Uh, I can say yes. Nah, I think ass is fine. All right. <laughs> it beat me in the ass because my code technically was failing, even though the logic ran and everything, but because there was something on the Salesforce side, there was like some kind of workflow or process builder that changed my value, it wasn't working. And I didn't know that because I didn't let the DML happen. It, yeah, and in this trigger-oriented development world that we live in, I mean, you really do need to test what, hap- what happens when you insert a, a contact and account or whatever kind of record. I mean, because that could end up firing just all kinds of triggers. Yeah. And you need to test that, that, that all those things work because you're depending on this chain of triggers firing and doing stuff right. to ultimately get you into the end state that is a valid state. And so that's, I mean, for so many reasons, that being one of them, I've kind of gone to, and I, uh, let me finish my statement. I have, I have gone to, uh, we've talked about this, but I've gone to basically, you know, end to end type of testing. Number one, that's the most important. That's the one that the client cares about the most. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's, it's also, it's kind of hard to not, it's it, unit testing is, is for various reasons is, is not worth the cost in, in Salesforce world. Now, that's not saying I don't ever do unit testing. When I say unit testing, I mean like, you know, testing in a class isolated from other classes. I mean, it, and again, it can be hard for lots of reasons. One of them is that just, there's, that, there's just not the mocking facilities that, uh, near the facilities that are needed in order to actually isolate uh, classes. And I'm, and I'm not going to, ha- you know, have every single class, you know, uh, implement some interface so that I, well, you can't even mock, I mean, you can't even mock things out like that. I mean, usually in the Java world, like basically you had to, everything had to implement some kind of interface or abstract class mm-hmm. because the unit testing frameworks or the, that, that would do like mocking of, and stubbing of things, they couldn't, I'm, like, I'm, trying, I'm, I'm not sure what the word is. They can't impersonate a class, but they can uh, an interface. So if, if you pass, if you're passing interfaces around everywhere, then it makes them happy. Well, nowadays, um, actually for a very long time now, Java, the facilities it provides with the, um, what's it called? The VM agent and some other things. It's, you can, you can mock anything. Statics, classes, privates, I mean, just pretty much everything. But you don't have any of that in, in, in Salesforce with Apex. So it's, it's hard to do unit testing. So I just often don't do it. Um, mm-hmm. There are some times, though, when like a class has, um, you know, uh, what, you know, complex enough, you know, hairy enough logic in it that I really want to test just that class. And if it's if it doesn't have if it doesn't have a lot of external dependencies, and and, and it has some hairy, you know, logic that that I really don't even know. I mean, I, I look at it and you're like, I don't know if that works or not. Yeah. You have to write tests for it. <clears throat> yeah. And that's that's when a case like that, I might actually write a unit test for that. Yeah, yeah and that's fair. I, th- I think everyone has their kind of own style their own level of comfort uh, right. in terms of you know what they're willing to deal with I, I i do tend to err on providing as many tests as i can and covering and i am one of those that tries to get 100 percent, and i feel ugly when i can't but. oh i don't at all no i think that's a waste of time you're, you're wasting I'm, I'm, you, you act like you have a lot of spare time john <laughs> <laughs> no i'm ru- already waiting on i tests. structure my code <laughs> in a way that it is possible in in most cases to get 100 percent. if it's not a that's that's the tail wagging the dog so you're actually making your code worse so that you can, so you can hit some vanity metric. No. Yeah, you're, you're changing your code so that you can hit a vanity metric. No. You just said you are. I'm saying I write my code in a way that the execution <laughs> I, path is clear I enough. Should I rewind it? 
<laughs> I write my code so that the execution path is clear enough that there's it doesn't have a bunch of branching logic. It maybe has one or two branches at most. Yeah. I don't write code that has like 10 branches on it, which makes it almost impossible to test. Yeah. In which case, just calling the method with with a few changes or tweaks to the to the inputs gets 100%. It, that, that's all I mean. I don't. It's not like I sit there meticulously try to cover every exception thrown and all that kind of stuff. I'm just saying if everything flows in one way and and the output is very consistent it's it's not that difficult yeah. it's it can be tedious well there are some there are some things that actually are difficult to get coverage on and in the salesforce world there's things that are impossible to get coverage on mm -hmm. so i don't even like just global well yeah i mean like my controllers never have 100% because there's always some just just exception handlers some generic exception handler in case some unforeseen thing happens yeah or if you if you're trying to catch dml i mean you can't you, the system doesn't let you throw a dml exception right I think it does. Is, is that new? I feel like we've we'll talked about this. I think that now they do let you, you can just throw uh, some of the standard okay. exceptions. I need to. Yeah. I know I have in some cases. There's a lot. If that's the case, there's a lot of code I need to go for the past 10 years go and update. I, <laughs> Although it's working, so maybe I just should leave it alone. Yeah. I sometimes wonder if just creating your own exception is just is still better than trying to throw the, the native ones. Mm. Exceptions are just concepts. They are, but they're, they're, they're your they're your it, it's your way so, of saying exactly this is what this is my error this is true. i'm handling like, this right like if you can have domain specific right. exceptions yeah. right yeah but sometimes you just you have an invalid state and it's oh, totally okay to throw the built built-in invalid state exception yeah uh, i don't that may be a java thing but I, I just i just i try to stick strictly to the definition so i'll have the document the the docs open on the exception types that they're native ones and i try to read them i'm going like is this really what i'm trying to say when i throw this exception it, it ends up adding time to my development versus me just creating a, a a new type and throwing it because now i'm trying to strictly adhere to the definition to make sure i'm not screwing someone later on the down the road who's trying to read my code going that's not an invalid argument right. no that's right and, and and you know words words matter oh, we talk about that a lot yeah. you know and and uh, it, I do think it's important to have like the the meaning or the semantics of of the name of the exception. It should be appropriate. But probably the biggest driver <coughs> is how you need to catch certain ex exceptions because just the way that the the, yeah. me the mechanism of a of a catch block works is you can get you can put your catch blocks in a certain order or you can exclude certain exceptions from being caught so that they specifically bubble up because you know that, okay, if this thing throws an invalid state exception, I cannot handle it right here. It's going to have to be the caller that handles it because I won't know what to do, right, for, mm -hmm. as an example. Yeah. And if you're using, you know, you, you, need a, you need a separate exception from the ones that you are catching. You need, you need one that, you're, that you cannot catch. And so you're, the code that's, that's under, that's the subject of the thing here, needs to throw a distinct exception so that you cannot catch that particular scenario and that gets tossed back up to the caller. Right. So that's probably the biggest technical driver, but I, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of, uh, just the, the meaning, the, the words and the semantics, you know? Yeah. And it's only recently that I started throwing more exceptions than I used to. I used to really be really big about null checking and all that kind of stuff. And after a few conversations with you, I have realized I've kind of been swallowing errors that I should be throwing up. Have, I mean, yeah. And that's another thing, like, I mean, so many languages, even Java, gosh, has, has moved on to, um, every, null safety is just built into everything now. Like some, and, you know, once you get, I think it's kind of trying to think of when like all the, um, like the optional and some of the, some of the related, you know, interfaces got built into Java. I think it was eight, but so many things now will return. Like you'll, you'll say, uh, you'll, maybe you'll call some database methods like, uh, you know, find, find me, uh, an account by this name. 
mm-hmm. and it'll return an optional. Or maybe usually it's more by ID. Find me an account with this ID. And it's going to be, there's either going to be a result or not. Instead of that being null, like if it's, instead of it just returning a null if they couldn't find that account, it actually returns an optional. And you, you actually have to do like, you know, whatever the result is, like result.get. Or you can do like result, uh, what is it? Result, um, and you can do like get or throw, and then, and then you pass in an exception that it will, if there's not an account there, it'll throw that exception for you. Otherwise, it just continues on your code path as normal. So it's kind of just null safety built in to everything now. That's nice. Yeah, it's it's hard to exp- again code hard to explain. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I mean Kotlin, uh, all, all the modern languages certainly have got that. But I I would imagine that C sharp is probably based, you know, uh, kind of added that. It just like it has some. Has. It has some. But plus the, the the other nice thing about the the language is uh, not too many types support null except for string, in, unless you unless you use the um, what the language C sharp and C sharp. Okay. Yeah. Is, is Java pretty open about nulls or? Because like Salesforce really threw me for a loop, especially Booleans. Because like in in, C, in the .NET world, Booleans are not nullable unless you give it a, what is a question mark flag or something in the um, declaration and that'll make it nullable, a nullable type. Uh, in fact, whenever you consume the Salesforce APIs and it generates all the proxy classes, all of those end up having to get attributed with the uh, the nullable data types. Yeah, and C, so C Sharp has this... Uh... Both C Sharp and Java have, you know, the concept of a uh, what do they call like a primitive type, and then a oh, uh, like a what are they what is what's the, the, the like a heap type? It always gets allocated on the heap. I can't remember what those even are called. But uh, C Sharp has an additional concept of what is it value types? Yeah, and I can't even begin to explain. I mean, I kind of understand them, but I, I can't. I couldn't do a good job of explaining. So it's it's hard to compare C Sharp and Java in that way because mm-hmm. the type system is different enough. I mean, at its core, I, I guess certain things I didn't worry about nulls on, decimals or numbers or um, so booleans and things the like primitives, that. Primitives, right? Like, does C sharp call those primitive types? I know in Java they do. So like you know, lo- like int, right? String, mm-hmm. all the lowercase things. Boolean, those are all primitives, and they and they can't be null. There's got to be a value there, right? But if you use like you know integer, right? Java dot dot integer, right? Well, that's a type, yeah. Yeah, and it can be, it's, a po- it's like a pointer type, a reference type. And that's what Java, Java calls them reference types. And those can be null. Yeah. So, null, and, and, the, and the ability for things to be null causes unending bugs, right? That's the right. problem. Yeah. And so these, these older languages have, have added in the ability to do much more null-safe programming. And, I, and again, that's just my, my way of saying that a lot of what I used to do in terms of just a lot of null checking is, is because these could be null. And I, w- I didn't have the tools or the experience to handle it in a good way other than to check for it and yeah, you you know, move on. Right, because if things can... And, you know, there's, there's code that's under your control, which is you can come up with whatever kind of system you want for do, are, are things allowed to return null? Mm-hmm. I tend to, like, for, for again, for the code that I control, I, I try to have the... The philosophy that, like, yeah, there's going to be things coming in from outside of, you know, this code base. But once it gets in, it's safe. Like, we, I don't pass nulls around. Uh, there's also the, um, the null object p- pattern, which I think predates some of this more modern null safety stuff. But that's the idea that anytime you intend um, for something to be null, you actually return an instance of, like, a null, what's called it? It's the null object pattern. So it's like mm-hmm. a null instance of a thing. 
Even that would be nice. Yeah, I, I do well, pass null. There are certain scenarios where I do pass null back, and it's just it's just part of my DNA to do that in certain scenarios. Because yeah. I'd rather I'd rather deal with the null than throw an exception and have to deal with the exception. Because there are certain cases where I don't. I, yes, I'll get a null back, but I want to handle that gracefully, not handle it in my exception handler. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, it all it all queries depends. is like if I want to query a single record rather than let sales rather than yeah, if you do a query. And you map it to a, to just an S object, not a list of S objects, but mm -hmm. just an S object. Mm -hmm. If there's a value, it maps it just fine. Yeah. If there's no data, it throws an a exception. Query, query exception, right? And I, I don't like that. I want to get a null back. So, okay. Okay. <laughs> so that my code can just do if null or else. You know, it can just have a little logic path there, not right. not break into an exception handler. Now that's where you're almost always querying by an mm -hmm. ID at that point, right? Yes. And when you get one yeah. back. It's yeah. just my pattern. You'll see that I do all my queries in their own method, and I pass in whatever it needs. And if it if it's intended to return a single object, either returns that object or a null. And that's an inter that's an interesting opinionated decision that they made. That if you query by an ID and we don't find it, that's an exception. I think more interesting is the fact they let you map to a single object. Why isn't why why do that magic? Why create that I th that I, scenario? I, well, I I actually find that nice because that sometimes if I just if I want if I have an ID and I want to get query for that that one entity, I don't want to have to like then get get a a list back and then just pull the zeroth element out of that list. I'd rather yeah. just get the one thing back. So I kind of like that. It is it is kind of magic that this expression can return either a thing or a list of those things because mm -hmm. that would kind of break any other type system unless you have like some kind of union types or something but because ids can be null you could be querying at a null value and you break your code uh, you can do an id that. equals null query okay and, and you'll get you'll get an exception thrown is it just the same like data not found or query yeah. exception or is, okay yeah um but no the fact that they throw an exception for that instead of returning just an empty list <laughs> I, I find interesting but i kind of like that because if I'm if I have an ID and I'm querying for something based on that ID, that means I expect it to be there. And if it's not there, that is almost an exceptional. I mean, almost always going to be an exceptional scenario. And instead of having to have if statements and stuff and, and code around that, like old school C style programming, I love the fact that it throws an exception and I can have that exception handling block at way down below instead of mixed in with my actual business logic. I mean, there's benefits to either way. And that's why yeah. I said it it depends on this scenario but i wonder if a lot of my coding style is the fact that i'm i'm a consultant and i expect to not be there when it fails I, I, a yeah, lot of it yeah. is that yeah you're not gonna be if here, i'm right? if yeah. i'm sit, if if this is my my code this is my code base and i'm Ooh. responsible for it i'm hired by a company and i'm 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 there unless i quit or they fire me i'm there if there's an exception i want to know where it's at and i can handle it and i can update it and there's there's that's it with the consulting world, it's kind of, I build it, I move on. Build it, move on. And yep. if there's an error, someone's calling me going, no, we have a, I got to work it into my schedule. I got to, do we have a budget for this? You know, all yeah, this or, kind or of maybe, stuff. Like, maybe you don't have a contract for them anymore and you can't even help them. So you're, you're just so, trying to, you're trying to leave behind the best code you can. Uh, yeah, exactly. And a lot of times that means not letting exceptions get thrown around because the users can't handle those. Yep. They can handle a, sorry, I didn't find this record message. They can't handle an exception being thrown all the way up right. to them. Yeah. Nope, I get it. Uh, well, I had a couple other things. They're not really Salesforce related. Should we get to those? Because we're, I don't know where we are here. Past an hour, about an hour. Okay. Did you have, unless you had other things you wanted to cover? I do. There are more development topics, but let's, let's do a non-development topic. So I had one on, there was a new big study out that was a study on open office floor plans. Oh, okay. 
So I remember studies back then saying they were like the bee's knees. Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. And so this is fascinating because these seem to be really awesome studies, the way they did these. And they actually did two different studies and run by like, you know, scientists and statisticians and, and, and psychologists. It was really cool. And I'll link it up. It's, I don't know, some weird link. But they used, um, so they, they did two different studies, two different companies. One of them was a more longer-term one than the other, but other than that, they were kind of similar. But they, they had these, everyone involved in the study, so they, they asked for volunteers, basically. Mm-hmm. And, and I think on this, on this first study, they're, you know, like, they got about half of the whole floor of this place to volunteer, and so they just cleared it out, made up, you know, really nice, really nice space, but it was all, you know, open space. Open space but yeah. got, the, got the right, you know, furniture for it and everything, and I think everyone got, you know, a budget to, like, you want to get, because usually you have to have headphones. Mm-hmm. Or else you'll go crazy. Yeah. So you know, everyone was able to get whatever headphones they wanted and all that kind of stuff. But they, everyone, it was in the study used a, a had, they had to wear a badge at all times, and the badge had a microphone, an infrared sensor, an accelerometer, and um, and like a and it had Bluetooth. I think just so they could probably pull data off them. I'm not sure hmm. of these badges, but that's how they, that's how they, um, you know, they, they're just collecting this tons of data that these badges are throwing off. That's and really so, cool, yeah, actually. So, you know, during the study, and then, of course, at the end of the study, they, they measure all this. Because what they wanted to measure was, like, do people, if you have an open floor plan, because the, the supposed the benefit is that people interact more. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and, and I think common sense, like, just prima facie, it's like, yeah, I mean, people are going to interact more. They're, you've stuck them all out with each other. I don't know if, the, I don't, in my experience, I don't know if it was interacting more or more just kind of peeking over and going, yeah, he's at his desk. Let me transfer you. Right, right. <laughs> so in this study, and again, they had all this really kind of awesome instrumentation. They kind of, they kind of know there, there was 72% less time spent interacting. And, and, I, and they, they have like all these crazy numbers and, and how they determine this and everything. But, but, but what it basically boils down to is everyone just sits there with their headphones on. So people actually, Oh, interact, interact less. What else? Yeah, because um, you're afraid to interrupt them. What if they're on a call? What if they're doing this? You don't know. Collectively, the participants spent 56, or they sent 56% more emails to other participants. And they received 20% more emails from other participants. And they were CC'd on 41% more emails than before. So they're getting that makes way more sense. email. I have a smaller case study of that at, at home. Because I'll put headphones on because the kids are home now mm-hmm. and they're making noise and I need to focus. So I'll yep. put headphones on. But what happens when they want my attention, they're all peeking around and they'll see my earphones on. But I'm just listening to music at that point in time and they walk away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they could, if I didn't have that scenario, they could have just come in and asked me a question. There's an interaction. But no, if they see earphones on and they're like, oh, he's busy. Gotta yep. go away. Um, I am message activity increased by 67%. And words sent by IM increased by 75%. So they say, to restate more precisely, in, in a boundaryless space, electronic interaction replaced, they call it F2F, what would that be? Uh, F2F Face-to-face? Face-to-face interaction. It's almost like working remotely, in a way. Yeah. And so they say that the, the Executives at this company reported to them that quali- uh, qualitatively that productivity as defined by the metrics used by the internal performance management system had declined after the redesign that eliminated the spatial boundaries. Consistent with research on the impact of a decline in media richness on productivity and on the particular challenges of email, it is not necessarily surprising that productivity declined due to a substitution of email for face-to-face interaction. What is more surprising is that more open, transparent architecture pr- 
prompted such a substitution? It's making a lot of sense. There, there are cases, and I'm not sure how long it's been. Have you ever worked in those environments? Those open? I have. I don't know that I have. Actually. I have. Okay. <laughs> and what, what did happen a lot is, is we would have these conversations. Like we'd get together as a group and sometimes it'd be impromptu and I'd walk over to whoever I needed to talk to and we're talking through some issue or getting clarification or requirement. But what happened is we'd notice that our conversation is bothering the people around us. And so we'd get up and go and find like a, a, an area where there was nobody. Usually the break room, we'd go and talk. Yeah. And that would happen a lot to us. Yep. And I think, I think they expected more of that than, I think, I just think that, because when it does happen, you end up annoying the people around you because there's yeah. no boundaries. Right. Your well, conversation they, is affecting them or they're on the call and, and we're like, oh, they're on the phone. So or someone to wave and go, I'm on the phone. You have different social norms in that kind of environment. And I think one of the social norms is the, ex, it's the expectation that you will put headphones on. It's not our problem if you're being bothered by us talking. It's your, it's your job to keep your headphones on. You can use, and because they would, you know, you can put on your Bose quiet comfort noise canceling or whatever. But that's, you know, if our conversation is bothering you, we don't have a choice. Like this, it's an open floor plan. Like you. Well, that was an example of, of real work getting done. There are other examples of people gossiping, laughing, and joking when I'm trying to get work done or I'm on a call with a client. Yeah. And they're goofing off. And that's bugging me too. And that's a problem because, you know, you, you have to, when you're on the phone call, you have to have a microphone to pick up sound of your voice. <laughs> so if you've got people jacking their jaws next to you, it's going to pick that up too. That's, yeah. that's kind of. Or private conversations. I heard way too many private conversations. You know, some people project more than they think. <laughs> yeah. And for rightly or wrongly, I, I don't think I would, I don't think I would operate in a open floor plan. I, I never liked them. I hated them. And some of them kind of do this hybrid where you, your group is in this like hall. They kind of create this like hallway sectional thing where there's walls that go up like eight feet or six feet or whatever. Mm -hmm. And you're, the group that you're in, your team, is in there, and you're kind of isolated as a group. Right. But that's still, there's still issues between that. Yeah. And I've also worked in environments where it was just completely open. Just, you, can, you can look from one end to the other building to the other. The nice thing is, is the, uh, the management didn't hog the windows, because in that environment, we all got natural sunlight, which yeah. was nice. Yeah. That, that was yeah. one thing I did love about that plan. Mm -hmm. The other, you're just cubicle farms, fluorescent lights. Yep. It sucked. Yeah. So I don't know, it's, it's interesting. I mean, this is just one study, but it, it looked really well done. Uh, the only other thing, let's see, was there's, did you see the rumors on the new AirPods? No. Yeah. Um, supposedly higher end AirPods. Uh, also, supposedly a new HomePod. This is a, a Mark Gurman rumor thing. He's, he's one this, of the reliable ones. He's this like boy wonder. He started off, what was his website? Um, boy, or gosh, I can't remember now. He had... Um, was he nine to five Mac or no? I can't remember. But he, you know, he's, he, I swear he was like not even, not even 21 years old. And he was getting these, what ended up being pretty reliable, like juicy Apple rumors over and over and over and over. Hmm. So he really made a name for himself. And then uh, Bloomberg hired him, probably paid him a big sum of cash. And so he works for them now. I think it was Bloomberg. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, also, you know, they say studio quality over the ear headphones. And all of these uh, early next year. Um, the new AirPods supposedly will have noise cancellation. That'd be nice. Yeah. I can't use the AirPods on a plane. Right. I've tried and it's, yeah, you can't. You have to end up turning them up so loud yeah. that you're just like, you realize that, oh my gosh, I'm blowing my ears out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be deaf by the time I, this plane touches down. No, I take my, you know, the, the black, 
I guess earbuds I have mm-hmm. that they have the, the the foam tips that like really just like you have to like really squeeze them in your ear yeah. and they isolate sound pretty well. I that I take those on flights. Yeah. But also water resistance. So and it's not gonna be like you don't you won't go swimming with them. It's just like, you know, sweat and oh, if yeah. it drops it's not it wouldn't won't ruin it. But I, I work out quite a bit with my AirPods, n- knowing that this might ruin them. But it's almost like a test because it's like, you know, I need, I need something I can work out with. And if they, it ruins They really them, are convenient. They're really nice. I know. And the, the no wire thing is a big deal. Regardless of like my issues with quality or syncing or anything like that, just the fact that they don't have wires is so nice. Because I've actually hurt myself with, you know, like running or something and, and the cord gets caught and just rips it out of my ear. Yeah. Or, or rips the think my the plug out of my phone i'm just like man w- w- when is it going to ruin my phone it's one of these times it's going to ruin the phone not to mention my posture like wh- on the occasion where i'm out of battery and i do have to plug in my headphones because of the way i've set up my home system it means the cord isn't long enough so i'm, oh. I'm like leaning into my monitor yeah. so for an hour um, i've got really bad posture that's not good what else they're trying to increase the range that airpods work at That'd be nice. Yeah. I can, Although, the, I can go to the bathroom with my music playing I'm and pretty not happy take with my the phone. range. I mean, I can, <laughs> I can leave my phone in the kitchen and I think I can, well, I don't know if I can make it all the way to our bathroom, yeah. but, it, but it, it's much farther than normal Bluetooth in my experience. And I don't know if that's that W chip, the W1 or whatever, W2, I don't know what it is. Yeah. It's weird. It, it's, it, it'll play a little bit. It'll cut out every so often and then it'll stop. And then once I get back in range, it starts back out, which yeah. is really cool. Yeah. Uh, but supposedly, um, there's something, let's see, model coming as early as this year that will let people summon Apple's Siri digital assistant without physically tapping the headphones. That'd be nice. Oh, yeah, still so they'll have Hey Siri on these. And I assume that the reason they don't have Hey Siri on these is because battery. running that microphone, yeah, it really wears the battery yeah. down fast. Okay, there are over-the-ear head, headphones coming. These will compete with pricey models from Bose and Sennheiser. They will use Apple branding and be a higher-end alternative to the Beats line. Those are going to be some pricey headphones. I guarantee you, minimum three ninety nine. Minimum, th- I'm, I'm just throwing that out there. Those are the over over the ear ones. Yeah, yeah. But they'll be the you know. Noise. I'm not. A, I'm not a fan of the over the ear ones. I have we have we use them here when we record. But I know my ears get hot. Like yeah. my ears are hot right now. Like it makes you know they say like if your feet are cold, your whole body's cold. I can I tell you, there's a corollary to that, which is if your ears are hot, <laughs> your whole body's hot. Well, that and you get the hat hair from the. That's I don't care about that. But. I do. I don't have much there to work with, so it just looks <laughs> horrible. <laughs> what else? Apple originally intended to introduce the headphones by the end of this year, but they've had development challenges, and now they're targeting next year. But yeah, their accessories, you know, they're making more, selling more and more, and making more and more money off of accessories. It's like a $13 billion business for them now. Wow. Yeah, just, just earbuds and headphones. Crazy. Something to look forward to? Yeah. More money to spend. I got to make more money. Well, because there's been times when I've thought about suggesting AirPods or getting AirPods for certain people, but I'm like, yeah, they've they're so long in the tooth now that I, mean, I, I say get them. I mean, I'm, not def- I'm definitely not now. Like my I, my wife, I thought wouldn't really enjoy them, but I got her some anyways, and she loves them, and she's using them more than any other cordless earbud that I've spent tons of money on. I don't question the enjoyment that that people would have. I. It's just that they're um, they're already going they're going to be obsoleted right by these new ones and I'd rather although I think the new ones the, I think the new AirPods are going to be more expensive mm. possibly I think that's I think the words that they used were they're likely to be more expensive than what are the current ones one sixty nine 
150 or 150 yeah so they said they're currently pr probably going to be more expensive than 159 and they're all there this also they they speculated that they're going to split airpods into like multiple you know models like oh, like the phones are like for example. just hear them mm -hmm. yeah i don't i i, I still stand by the get these and that way you can learn what you like about them what you don't and then when the new ones come out you can see if those features are attractive enough for you to spend the extra money because i they're really convenient they're, they're they're very much a convenience device but i love them i use them all the time yeah the biggest problem i have with them is um i mean it does have little, little it does and i hate those quirks and they piss me off when they happen like this but happened today. i just i still could i wouldn't trade them for anything went on a walk this morning after i took my like first coffee break went on a little walk come back up Take take the AirPods out and just set them down on the desk. Mm -hmm. Didn't put them in the in the floss package, but set them out on the desk. And like five minutes later, I'm, I'm just like, man, what am I? What am I hearing? Oh, you're hearing the, it's the battery still playing? No, no, the whatever I was listening to was still playing. Like I, taking them out oh. did not stop it, and that happens to me every once in a while. I can put them put them back in, take them out, and it still it just it's like they need to reboot because something's just stuck on them. Yeah, it's happened to me, and it actually drained them, and I had to yeah. charge them again. Yeah. So they've got, and that, that that doesn't happen often. It's every once in a while, but it's it's annoying when it happens. No, my biggest thing is just, and, and I know it's better than a cord, but still having still having to carry this floss around is annoying. Well, I guess for me, because I'm I don't really go to to too many places. I'll leave it somewhere. I'll leave it on my desk, and and I only well, I only grab it when I need to charge it. I leave it, you know, wherever. You have to get in a habit of always putting it in your pocket. I mean, it's so weird because even even around the house, I'll just be wearing shorts, you know, on a Saturday or something, and like. Every time I get up to go somewhere, you know, these are just always in my pocket. And it's, that's, that's what I find. Well, that's if, what's like weird I, about If these. I go to the grocery store, I'll leave it in the car. No, not me. Always with me. Because I'm, I'm not going to take them off while I'm in the store. And if I do, I just take one out. Yeah. No, and then I put it back in when I'm, I don't shop for hours. I shop for like yeah. 20 minutes right. and I'm out. And so it's in the car if I need it. Yeah. That's, I, I don't know why. I, I'm paranoid not to have them with me because that's when, that's when you'll lose them. I'm more paranoid about carrying it and then thinking, because what I'll do is I'll, I'll end up having the earbuds and the, the floss in my hand. And that's what happened to me last time is I was fumbling around trying to carry it around and keep it that I dropped it and lost one. But I was going to say, you need, to be, you need to be paranoid about not running them over. That's what I did. I ran <laughs> I it know. over. It cost me 70 bucks. Yeah. Oh, gosh. It's ridiculous. Basically, the 150 you're paying is... is for each one, <laughs> according yeah, to Apple. Right. Well, John, I, um, unfortunately, I need to go run. I need to, literally, I need to go run. Run for Because we're run. recording on Thursday today, which is weird, because yesterday was Independence Day. But today is We didn't have my, any alcohol today. today. I know, that's because. Oh, hold to, on. I know. Hold on. Well, John does. Yeah, here you go. There you go. <sighs> you just, for the show. Yeah, piss everyone off. For the show and all my homies. Sorry about your eardrums there, everyone. There. But, yeah, so today's my running day, so that's why. It's weird. It's like a swallow. <laughs> All right. Any, um, did we get an, I feel like we got some email, a couple of emails, but we did, but we're going to hold those. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess they were on my list to get to do, but we have to do something about you hitting your microphone. I just, I set myself up wrong today. Okay. It's just, it's way too close to me and it's, I did it wrong today. Okay. My you're bad. Doing, you're doing it wrong, John. I did it wrong. <laughs> my bad. Sorry. All right. Well, if there's nothing else, then thank you for listening. Thank you for being uh, supporters of the show. Tell your friends. Give us reviews and ratings. What else? Send us, uh, you, if you have a topic you want us to talk about or questions, or if you just want to like complain or vent at us, uh, info at gooddaysirpodcast.com. What else? You, we already talked about Slack. You can go to our website, mm -hmm. sign up for it. Anything else, John? 
Uh, we need to have a meeting about Spotify. Some people are asking us to post on Spotify. Yeah, they. Um, I, I I remember reading a couple of weeks ago that they've really boosted up their podcast program. Yeah. So yeah, we should so look into that. We'll look into that. As long as it's nothing weird like Stitcher. Yeah, I mean the issue with them is they wanted to inject ads into our content. Yeah, they, yeah, they wanted to take, they wanted to ingest our, literally the binary bits and then re reprocess them and everything. And yeah, I don't mind like if it's on Spotify and they do an ad before or after, but if they're going to inject into the middle of our content, I don't know. Yeah, no, I don't like that. And they, the stuff you have to agree to legally with them, I just found unpalatable. We're talking about Stitcher though. Yeah, we'll, we'll look Stitcher. into Spotify. Yeah, we'll look into Spotify. Yeah. All right, that's all I got. Okay, me too. And to that, I say good day, sir. And happy fourth. You're doing it wrong. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir.